Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Rick Edelman. He is a famous financial planner. He's a, a, a seminar person. He does radio shows. He's got his website and he's done a lot of books. And we're going to be talking a lot today about his new book, which is called The Truth About Your Future, The Money Guide You Need Now, Later, and Much Later. Welcome to the show, Rick. Thank you, Jordan. Always good to be with you. So for people who may not be familiar with it, just tell people briefly uh, your history and how you got to be the uh, media personality and financial planner that you are. Well, I've been doing this uh, for over 30 years now. Uh, my wife and I created our financial planning practice back in the 1980s, and we began by focusing on financial education. Back then, there was just very little resource available for ordinary consumers to learn about money and investments and financial planning, and that was our focus. And so we began by doing educational seminars. We began with elementary school PTA groups, teaching them about college savings. That got me invited onto the radio, and eventually I was invited to be uh, the host of a show. I've been doing that for now 26 years, um, the, the longest-running national personal finance show uh, in the country. And uh, that led to my hosting television shows. I now host some specials for public television. We're producing a new one that's going to come out in November. And uh, I've written nine books along the way, uh, including uh, number one New York Times bestseller, and two of my books have been named Book of the Year by the Institute for Financial Literacy. And uh, Barron's three times named me the number one independent financial advisor in the country. And Forbes last year named me among the top 10 wealth managers in the, in the United States. So our firm is now one of the largest in the country. We're managing over $20 billion for 35, 34,000, 35,000 families all across the U.S. Very good. At your website, which is uh, rickedelman.com, or ricedelman, as you put it, .com, what are some of the resources people can find there? Well, we have a huge array of financial information covering every aspect of personal finance. All of it is free. You don't even have to register for it or whatever. The, the information is just there for your benefit. Everything from credit and debt and personal privacy to managing multi-million dollar estates and intergenerational wealth planning, investments, insurance, taxes, mortgages, buying houses, leasing cars, uh, you name it. There, there's a huge amount of content there at ricedelman.com, and I invite you to take a look at it. Tell me a little bit about your clients and what kind of services you provide. You do money management, but you do financial planning, and do you get assigned somebody? How does it work when you start working with one of your financial advisors? Yeah, we do comprehensive financial planning uh, and investment management. Uh, our attitude is you can't figure out how to invest the money until you know what the goal is and what the you know, what you're trying to accomplish. So we invest with a financial planning focus, and uh, we have um, been doing this this way for a very, very long time. We have about 160 financial advisors in 43 offices around the country, and we emphasize the relationship. Uh, every advisor in my firm is highly experienced. They typically have 10 plus years of experience. Many of them have more than 30 years of experience. All of them, uh, we work as a team. So all of them are operating the same way as me, same philosophy, methodology, the same approach to investment management. Uh, and this is what makes us different from any other firm that, you know, you go to any big box brokerage firm, you know, Merrill has 13 
thousand brokers in the place. They're going to give you 13,000 pieces of advice because there's no consistency within an organization like that. Merrill doesn't care as long as the advice is ethical and honest and in your best interest and, and helpful. And as long as they're making profits for Merrill and they're staying out of trouble legally, then Merrill's happy with that. It's like a, like a, a financial supermarket. Our attitude is very different. We don't want the client experience to be dependent upon which advisor you're talking to. At Merrill, one guy might be telling a client to buy bonds, another one is telling them to sell stock, another one is telling them to buy real estate. There's no continuity or consistency. But in our firm, at Edelman Financial, we're all working as a team. So the advice that each client gets is based on the firm's philosophy. So you don't have to worry about being dependent on an individual who wakes up in a bad mood or who has a bias toward gold or some other kind of nonsense. And it creates a much better client experience, we believe. It's very similar to the Starbucks approach. You you can go to any Starbucks in the country and you know what your experience will be. And we work very hard to make the Edelman experience the very same type of thing. And on the investment side, do you do individual stocks? Or do you mutual funds and ETFs? Or what kind of uh, uh, instruments do you use inside your investment portfolios? We're using uh, institutional class mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. We are not using active management. We are uh, the, the basic tenets of our investment management approach is very clear and very simple. We believe in extensive global diversification, 18 asset classes and market sectors. We believe in a very long-term investment horizon. We are not trying to time the market. We're not trying to predict what's going to happen tomorrow. We're building portfolios to help you achieve your long-term goals. We're trying to control risks and costs while doing that. And then we will engage in strategic rebalancing, adjusting the portfolio from time to time to compensate for variations in performance because, you know, at any given moment, one asset class is doing better than another. And so it's a very simple but elegant uh, approach to investing. It's academically based. It's based on modern portfolio theory, which is Nobel Prize winning uh, approach to investment management. And we believe it's the most time-tested, proven approach to managing money that there is. And what is the minimum investment you need in assets to bring to you? And what kind of fees do you charge? Well, this is what makes us, I think, pretty different from other advisory firms. Uh, You'd ask, you know, who are the kind of clients we serve? Uh, Our household minimum is only $5,000. Most firms in the country, they have a half million dollar minimum. At Merrill, they won't let you talk to an advisor if you have less than $250,000. You go to a call center to deal with them. Uh, Most firms have a half million or million dollar minimum. I know an outfit that has a $10 million minimum. And in our firm, we'll help anybody regardless of how much money you have or don't have. I mean, we have lots of clients who are millionaires, but we don't believe that advice should be based on how much money you have or don't have. We believe that if you want good financial advice and you're willing to follow that advice, we're willing to help you whether you have a lot of money or you strive to have a lot of money. So we'll be happy to help you no matter what your situation. And what kind of fees do you charge based on the assets? Well, because we're charging or we're dealing with very small accounts, only $5,000, our fee schedule starts at 2%. That's 100 bucks a year. Uh, but as the assets grow in value, obviously that 2% fee comes way down. So the larger the account size, the smaller the fee rate uh, is. And it's very, very uh, competitive in the industry. We're using very low-cost investments. They typically are 30 or 40 basis points at three-tenths 
or four-tenths of a percent per year. We're using as much as we can very low-cost investments. To We recognize clearly that the the less you're spending, the more profit you end up keeping, and that's a big part of the goal of effective investment management. So I guess you're a believer in passive income as opposed to active management. Why is that that so many active fund managers say that they can beat the markets long-term and that you're just settling for average if you do the uh, index funds that are matching the S&P 500 and the other indexes. Well, they're wrong and they're liars. Um, All of the academic data shows very clearly that the active managed fund managers fail to beat the market. And you can look at any time period you want, year to date, one year, three year, five year, 10 years, 15, 20 years, the overwhelming majority of fund managers in every investment category overwhelmingly fail to beat the market. Uh, And so their argument that you're settling for average by investing in a passive approach is a canard. I mean, quite frankly, settling for average is pretty darn good because the market's averages are sufficient to help most Americans achieve their financial goals. The problem is most Americans are even doing that because they're investing in bank accounts. They're earning zero point nothing in a checkbook savings account, uh, or they're earning uh, 1% or 2% in a bank CD or a low-rate muni bond or something like that, and that's not enough to achieve their goals. But if we can get them the returns that the global financial markets have historically provided over long periods, that's enough to achieve your goals without taking excessive levels of risk or incurring massive levels of fees. So uh, we find that the arguments made the active camp are filled with conflicts of interest uh, and uh, selective cherry-picking of data to try to make their numbers look good. And even those who have demonstrated an ability to beat the market have not been able to do so on a long-term consistent basis. So it's uh, sort of like picking a a horse race. Yeah, it might win one race, but that doesn't mean it's going to win every race. So we, uh, we just reject out of hand the claims that they make. Now, there's a new rule that's kind of gone into effect from the Labor Department called the fiduciary rule. It looks like it may be delayed or pulled back a little bit, but basically the idea of that is that they're always supposed to be working in the client's best interest, yet there's been a lot of resistance from that from the right. financial industry. What, what is your sense of, is this a fiduciary rule a good idea, and is it going to go fully into effect? It's a great idea. Uh, we've been very, very supportive of this idea ever since it was first uh, uh, offered back about eight years ago by the Department of Labor. I've had Phyllis Borzi, the former Undersecretary of Labor, on my show many times talking about the fiduciary rule. We, we are big fans of it. I mean, your doctor serves your best interests. Your lawyer does. Your accountant does. Your financial advisor should as well. But unfortunately, stockbrokers do not. Insurance agents do not. Only registered investment advisors do this, and most people don't know there's a difference. So a lot of people are using uh, an advisor who is not serving their best interest. They're serving their own best interest or their firm's best interest instead of yours. And as a result, they're recommending to you investments that are riskier than they should be or more expensive than they should be or lower in performance than they should be because they're not required to do anything different. So we're very big fans of the fiduciary standard. And like you, Jordan, I've been encouraging consumers to be aware of this issue so that you can choose an advisor who will look out for your best interests. But as you noted, the Department of Labor just announced last uh, week that they're going to delay the uh, implementation of the new rule 
until the summer of 2019. They're going to delay it for an extra 18 months. And we're not terribly surprised by this. As you noted, the industry hates this rule because it's going to cost the financial services industry force them to stop selling products that have been selling that are very profitable to them, like annuity products and non-traded REITs and uh, other esoteric uh, expensive share classes of mutual funds and things like that that they love to sell because they make a lot of money doing it, but which are not in your best interest. And so the industry hates this idea, and they have succeeded in persuading the Department of Labor to delay implementation of the rule for another year and a half. And it's a shame, but in the meantime, it means you as an investor need to watch out for your own best interest. You need to make sure your advisor is one who is serving your best interest. We exist out there. There are some of us who are operating this way already. We're not hard to find. You just need to make sure that we are the kind of firm that you are hiring as opposed to those commission-based product-pushing salesmen. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Rick Edelman. Uh, his uh, website is ricedelman.com, and his newest book we'll be talking about is called The Truth About Your Future. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Rick Edelman, a financial planner, a radio show host. Uh, his website is ricedelman.com, and his latest book is called The Truth About Your Future. Welcome back to the show, Rick. Thank you, Jordan. Speaking about our future, uh, there's a lot of concern right now as to what's going on with the kind of escalating rhetoric between North Korea and the United States, and are they going to bomb 
Guam? Are we going to have a nuclear war? What, what are people supposed to do with this kind of volatile situation where they can get scared out of their stocks and fear runs over greed? How are they supposed to deal with this kind of unknown situation? They should completely ignore it as irrelevant noise. But what if there actually is a war? Well, what, you think that moving your money from the stock market to the bank is going to solve anything? I mean, if we really face Armageddon, if a nuclear bomb does fall on us out of the sky, do you really think it's going to matter where you kept your money? Let, let's get real here. The supermarket shelves will be empty. No one will be able to restock them and resupply them. Gas lines will be off. There won't be any power. The only commodities that are going to be of value are going to be bullets and whiskey. So do you really think that, that moving your money is from a, from a stock into a bank CD is going to make any difference? Let's get real here. In other words, we're worrying ourselves to death. First of all, none of that stuff's going to happen. Uh, we've, there have always been worries. In my book, The Truth About Money, I have this nifty little chart on page 236 that shows stocks during and after a crisis. Went all the way back to the Korean War. This isn't the first time we've worried about Korea, by the way. We were worried about Korea in the 1950s. And back then, the U.S. stock market fell 15% in just five weeks. But six months later, the market was up 31%. Or how about when the Russians lost Sputnik? The S&P fell 10% in three weeks. But six months later, it was up 8%. Or how about uh, the Arab oil embargo in the 1970s? Remember that? The S&P fell 17% in two months. Or how about when Richard Nixon resigned? The market fell 20% in a month. Six months later, it was up 30%. Or how about the crash of 87, the Gulf War, 9-11, Enron, Katrina? You can take a look at crises that come from time to time. Our nation was founded on crisis. We have all, we're, we're like a drunk walking down a narrow hallway, bouncing from one wall to the next, but we keep on our feet and we keep advancing down the hallway. We're, we bounce from one crisis to the next. At the moment, it's Korea. Next week, it'll be something totally different. You'll have totally forgotten about Korea because of some new crisis that will have emerged. None of it has any long-term impact on the markets, and you really need to find something else to do. So what some people do is they do panic. They've been putting money into gold lately. They've been selling blue-chip stocks. They're putting money into bonds, into CDs. You're saying they shouldn't do any of that. They should just ignore all these uh, as, as short-term noise. That's exactly right. If you're building a portfolio correctly, you're doing it for your achievement of long-term goals. So is it your kid's college in 10 years? Is it your own retirement in 20 years? Go back 20 years. What was the crisis 20 years ago? You can't remember. Well, where was the Dow 20 years ago? You can't remember that either. 20 years from now, you're not going to remember what's happening in 2017. You're not going to remember. So what you think is a crisis at the moment is only because you're reading the current headlines. Stop reading them. Go read the sports page instead. It's a whole lot more fun. Spend time with your grandkids. Take the dog for a walk. Buy your spouse flowers. Do something that's much more productive and entertaining because today's crisis, it's going to be long gone. You'll have forgotten all about it. And if you were to shift your investment strategy, your long-term investment strategy because of the momentary headline, you're never going to achieve your financial goals that way. History tells us that people who try to time the market, they try to figure when is the time to get in and get out, all they do are dramatically increase their costs and their taxes, and they dramatically reduce their returns. You're much better off ignoring all this stuff because it's nothing but noise. It's not meant to do you anything at all. So related to that, how about consumption of financial media? 
uh, watching TV, listening to radio. I mean, you have a great radio show, but other radio shows, uh, the Wall Street Journal, all these kind of things, watching every momentary you know, economic statistic and earnings report. Right. Are you saying to tune all of that out as well? We need, to, we need to make sure we understand what it is we're being exposed to. Because as you cited, Jordan, there are two different kinds. There's radio shows like yours and mine, which are filled with information. And then there's everyone else, shows like uh, CNBC and Fox Business and uh, so many like those, where it's not financial information, it's financial noise. In other words, when someone tells you what the market is doing today, it's irrelevant noise because what it's doing today is different from yesterday and different from tomorrow. So it doesn't give you anything that you can act on. And if you have a pundit who's predicting what's going to happen next, that's noise too because nobody knows how to make predictions about the future. If anybody could, they'd be rich. But nobody knows what's going to happen next. So the difference between noise and information, how can you tell the difference is this? If someone explains to you how things work, that's information. If they're predicting what will happen next, that's noise. I'll give you an illustration. If somebody tells you what interest rates are going to do next month, that's because nobody knows what ha- what's going to happen to interest rates. But if someone explains to you the relationship between interest rates and bond prices, that's information. You know this, Jordan, for example. What happens to bond prices when interest rates go up? They go down, obviously. Exactly. Well, it's not obvious. A lot of Americans don't know that, but you know it because you're a financial expert. And that's information to share with the audience because people need to understand that there is a scientific, mathematical, factual relationship between interest rates and bond prices. That's information. That's valuable to know that when interest rates go one way, bonds go the other way. That's very different from predicting what's going to happen next. And so that's how you make the difference. So if you're asking yourself, should I pay attention to today's newspaper and that screaming headline about the market or about Korea or about uh, the latest tweet from Trump, no, it's all noise. You can't remember Trump's tweet of six months ago, and you're not going to remember today's tweet six months from now. There'll be a whole new tweet for you to be focusing on. So speaking of the future, tell me why you thought it was important to do this book called The Truth About Your Future, where you talk about all the trends that are coming and how they're going to change people's lives and how people invest. Why was that, had that not been done before in the way you did it? Yeah, the book is first of its kind. Uh, I've been, you know, we're, you and I, we're financial advisors, financial planners, and by default, that means we focus on the future. I'm not very interested, quite frankly, in uh, how you got where you are, um, you know, the mistakes you've made in the past, uh, why you don't have more money than you do, or whatever. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't beat yourself up about the past. All that matters is where are you today and where do you want to go? That's what financial planning is all about, figuring out how to help you achieve your future goals. We don't want to beat you up about the past that did or did not go the way you expected. And by focusing on the future, I want to make sure that the advice we're giving our clients As I mentioned, we have 34,000 families across the U.S. who we serve as clients, uh, $20 billion of their life savings we manage for them, and I want to make sure we're doing the right thing for them, that the advice we're giving them is, in fact, helpful for their future. And I began studying about eight, nine years ago the notion of exponential technologies. How is technology going to change our world and, along with it, our lives? 
I'm talking about artificial intelligence, robotics, machine learning, nanotechnology, biotechnology, bioinformatics, big data, material science, and trying to understand what it all means for us. I, I began uh, by interviewing Ray Kurzweil. He's on the Harvard faculty. He's now director of engineering at Google. Many people consider him the smartest man on the planet, uh, the Albert Einstein of our age. He owns hundreds of patents. And I interviewed Ray for my TV show, CBS, uh, about the future. And Ray also was the co-founder of Singularity University, and he was, uh, recommended that I attend the executive program there, which I did with his help back in 2012. Uh, got to meet Peter Diamandis, the other co-founder. Peter's the founder of the XPRIZE Foundation. He's the guy responsible for the first private manned spacecraft uh, into, outer, uh, into orbit and outer space. And I met dozens of other technologists, scientists, physicists, physicians, futurists, people studying very seriously what's going on in the planet with all of these exponential technologies. And while they were all able to show me the future of where we're headed, none of them were able to answer the one question I had. What does all this mean for our personal finances? What does it mean for our investments, for career, for college? for long-term care, for housing, leisure and recreation, education. And so since none of them were able to answer the question for me, I embarked on my own journey and over the past eight years have been studying very intently this issue and the answers began to emerge about two and a half years ago and I was able to finally coalesce it all into my book, The Truth About Your Future, which was published in March, uh, immediately became uh, a New York Times business bestseller, and answers the question, what does all this mean for you and your investment strategy and uh, your career and your home ownership and so on? And uh, the book is unique because I'm the first one to tackle these questions uh, from a personal finance perspective. And we're going to get into it in more detail, but you, your prologue says why Yogi Berra was right. What do you mean by that as relating to this book? Well, we're, I think we're all fans of Yogi Berra and all of his uh, famous sayings. The one I quote in the book is, the future ain't what it used to be. Uh, and that we have to understand. The future you're going to have is not the future you think it's going to be. It's not the future your parents had or your grandparents or great-grandparents. You will embark on a future that is unique in world history, in human history. And all of the assumptions you have about your future are wrong. And you need to recognize this, you need to understand it, and you need to prepare as a result of it from a personal finance perspective. And that's the f entire focus of the book. When you talk about exponential technologies, what do you mean by that? Well, we're talking about technologies that are going to have a radical advancement in uh, our daily lives, you know, add a zero to everything. We're not talking about incremental improvement. You know, the Apple's coming out with a new iPhone in the fall. That's an incremental improvement. I'm not talking about the next iPhone. I'm talking about self-flying cars. I'm talking about teleportation. I'm talking about the reversing of aging. Uh, I'm talking about uh, the kinds of technologies, uh, the invention of new materials, uh, that have never existed before on the planet that are able to make life easier, better, cheaper, uh, and happier um, that will ha fundamentally impact billions of people all around the planet. 
That's what I'm talking about when I refer to exponential technologies. Other people call them disruptive technologies. It's like the Model T compared to the horse and buggy. The Model T was an exponential technology. Yeah. All right. We're going to get into this in more detail after the break. Uh, my guest this hour is Rick Edelman. Uh, he's, his website is ricedelman.com, and the book we're talking about is The Truth About Your Future. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Rick Edelman. He's a financial planner. He's a, has got his own radio show. Uh, his website is rickedelman.com, and his new book we're talking about is called The Truth About Your Future. Welcome back to the show, Rick. Thank you, Jordan. So we're going to go into a lot of these different technologies briefly. The first, you begin with connecting with each other. So what are the kind of exponential technologies that allow us to connect with each other much more than in the past? Well, the Internet, of course. Uh, if it weren't for the Internet, we would all still uh, be walking to street corners to see our friends. Um, but today, half of those under the age of 24 say that given a choice, they would choose Internet access over a car. When I was a kid, that car was essential because that's how I got to be with my friends, go to the mall or go over to their house or the drugstore, and that's where they'd be hanging out. But today, you don't have to get in a car to hang out with your friends. You just go online to Facebook or some other social media site. So the Internet is responsible for our connectivity. When the Internet was created, it was designed to connect people to people. But we are now entering the next phase. We're not going to be connecting people to people. We're going to be connecting people to things. It's called, in fact, the Internet of Things, IoT. And what it means is virtually every device in your world will be connected to the Internet. Think about this. Your refrigerator, your clock radio, your telephone, your oven, your home itself – Everything connected to the Internet. They're already making smart luggage that's connected to the Internet. The luggage has the GPS built in so that you'll never lose your luggage again. The GPS connection tells you where your luggage is at all times. In fact, it has Bluetooth connectivity giving you free Wi-Fi hotspot wherever you are. It has a built-in scale telling you how heavy it is so you'll never have to pay an excess baggage fee at the airport. 
Um, so, in fact, it, it now has automo- automatic wheels on it, so you don't have to carry it in an airport. It'll simply follow you around. That's so all these have things have consumer benefits. All these Internet of Things, it's not just to spy on us all the time. They have real consumer benefits, you're saying. Absolutely right. Wouldn't you love it if your refrigerator knew that you, were ran, that you ran out of milk, automatically ordered more milk for you, and had the milk automatically delivered for you, all without you having to do a thing? Another area is virtual reality and augmented reality. You're just starting to see the beginning of this with Oculus and so on, but where is that going to be going in the next, say, 10 years or so? Uh, it's going to be massive. Virtual reality is, uh, you know, you put on those big goggles and immerse yourself in a different environment. It's a largely a toy, but in the future, doctors will be able to use this to improve the quality of their surgeries. Homeland Security will be able to see who is real and who is not. Uh, you'll be able to use these uh, glasses to tour homes that you want to buy see what they look like with your own furniture in the room uh, without it leaving the comfort of your house. You'll be able to try on clothing without having to go to the store to see how they look on you. Uh, Augmented reality uh, doesn't make you wear the glasses. Uh, Instead, the image just appears in front of you, like when you're using your uh, iPhone uh, to take a look at at a photograph. Uh, You'll be able to get statistics on your favorite ball player just by pointing your camera at the athlete on the field. Uh, Children will be able to use this to help... uh, in entertainment as well as education. Uh, the opportunities for these things are absolutely huge and uh, represent massive new investment opportunities. And what are some of the personal finance implications of all these things, the connected world? Well, like I said, investment opportunities are going to abound, but it also means disruption. And the, the best illustration I can give you is Kodak. 2012, Kodak was the best brand in the world, 135-year-old company files bankruptcy. Why? Because of digital photography. We stopped buying film. We're now taking photographs with our smartphone, thousands of them, instantaneously for free, sharing them with the entire planet at no cost. Kodak could not adjust and filed bankruptcy. And the year they did that, in 2012, Instagram, a company with only 13 employees, less than one year old, was sold for a billion dollars using technology Kodak invented, digital photography. So you have to ask yourself, what are the investments that you own? Look at your mutual funds. What stocks are in those funds? Are your stock funds filled with companies like Kodak, companies that were built for success in the 20th century? Or do you own stocks that were built for success in the 21st century? The Olin School of Business says that the average S&P 500 company back in the 1920s, had an average life of 65 years. Today, it's only 15 years. That means that by 25, 40% of the S&P 500 will not exist. So what are the stocks you own? What are the recommendations your financial advisor has been giving you? Because I find that many financial advisors are oblivious to this subject as well. They don't realize the changes that are coming. You need to make sure you're working with a financial advisor who is attuned to the future and giving you portfolios designed for where you're going, not where you've been. Another of your big trends is big data. We hear a lot about that, but how is that affecting uh, people and what are the investment implications of big data? They're going to be big winners and big losers, I guess, as to who controls and analyzes big data. 
Yeah, in all these exponential technologies, there are winners and losers. And, and big data simply acknowledges that we are collecting massive amounts of data all the time. I mean, we know from your GPS tracking system in your phone, we know where you go all day long. That's data. And if we can correlate that data with a bunch of other folks, all of a sudden we know what traffic patterns are like. And, and software like Waze, an app on your phone, can tell you to avoid certain highways because there's a lot of traffic congestion. That's the result of big data. Through the analysis of big data and correlating it together, insurance companies have been able to discover that runners are six times more more likely to pay their bills on time, whereas those who drink are five times more likely to file bankruptcy. In other words, they're going to start asking you questions about your behaviors and your habits, and if you are a runner, they'll give you a discount on insurance, whereas if you are a drinker, they're going to make you pay up front. So they're correlating things that in the past have not been correlated because that data was not really put together that way. Is that what you're saying? Exactly right. We had so much data that we couldn't sift through it all. We couldn't make any sense of it. Well, now they, now they, they can, and they're putting it to good use. Look at UPS, for example. UPS has 55,000 trucks running around the country all day long making deliveries. They burn up an awful lot of fuel, and they want to get those deliveries done as fast as possible. How do you determine the most efficient route to take? An algorithm does that. An algorithm determines traffic flows, geographic boundaries, and maps out the most efficient route possible for the driver, saving UPS billions of dollars a year, which they can pass on in savings to the consumer. Another topic you talk about is robotics. So you see robots coming in, but what what is the long-term implications? People are worried about losing a huge amount of jobs to robots. Is that, in fact, going to keep happening? Yes, it is. And this is something people need to pay a lot of attention to, not just robots, but also artificial intelligence. Uh, three separate uh, independent studies have reached the same conclusion, that over the next 10 to 15 years, about half of all the jobs in America are going to disappear. Half the occupations are going to go away. This is not the first time we've experienced this. 150 years ago, half of America worked on farms. Today, only 1% work on farms. That doesn't mean 99% are unemployed. We shifted. We went from the farm to the factory and from the factory to the office building. We're going to go through another metamorphosis. And it means you have to ask yourself a question. Is it possible for your job to go away to automation? And I'm not just talking about ditch diggers and coal miners. I'm talking about anybody who works in an occupation where the job is repetitive. So think about that. Is the work that you do routine, redundant, repetitive. Think about mortgage processors. All they're doing is processing paperwork. You fill out a form and you send it on its way. Well, computers can fill out those forms faster, more accurately, and cheaper than you. So mortgage loan processors are probably going to go away. Look at travel agents. When's the last time you talked to a travel agent? We use an app on our smartphone to book hotels and airlines and car rentals. So travel agents are going away. But on the other hand, while there's going to be massive job loss, there are also going to be massive job creation. And the best illustration are those smartphone apps. Ten years ago, Apple smartphone did not exist. It's hard to remember. It's only ten years old. Today, we have 300,000 Americans working as app developers, earning 
100 grand a year on average, three times more than travel agents. What does it mean? It means travel agents need to get retrained to become app developers. And that's the whole point of this. You need to identify if your job is at risk. In my book, The Truth About Your Future, I list 175 occupations that are going to go away over the next 10 years. You need to your job is on that list. And if so, figure out how you can get retrained to develop skills that are going to be marketable in the future. Because the opportunities are going to be huge, but it's going to create a period of disruption. A lot of people who have repetitive jobs, it's going to be, in particular if they're older, you know, 50, 60 plus, are going to have a very hard time converting to the new economy and writing apps and doing all these things. So it seems like there's going to be a huge amount of disruption as these jobs disappear. You're right, but it's going to be easier than you think because, again, of the Internet. The so-called gig economy, the sharing economy, is an opportunity for people to make money on a part-time basis. We're already seeing people do this, like Airbnb. We have 20% of senior citizens in this country earning money by renting a room in their home. We have people who are driving for Uber on a part-time basis. There are 10,000 websites that give you the opportunity to make money on a part-time basis, doing what you want, when you want, where you want, with whom you want, making as much money as you want. And that's going to be the answer for an awful lot of people going uh, in the future. Another chapter you have is on what you call nanotechnology and material science. What are some of the things coming there and how will that change our lives? Well, this is all very, very exciting. Uh, Richard Feynman, the famous uh, Nobel-winning uh, physicist, once said very famously, there's plenty of room at the bottom. His notion that we, as we get more and more sophisticated, we make things smaller and smaller. And we're getting down to the individual atom. Uh, by making things incredibly tiny, they're already building robots small enough to fit inside a syringe so that robots can travel your bloodstream looking for cancer cells to destroy them or to deliver medicine at the very spot where it's needed. Uh, so we're going to see incredible advances in architecture as we're able to build products through 3D printing and nanotechnology uh, at the very, very small scale and making um, innovative designs that are extraordinarily strong uh, and impervious to deterioration and, and weather uh, that can create massive new opportunities for our homes, being construct homes at a far lower cost, far faster uh, than ever before. Uh, computers that will be built from the atom up that uh, will have a thousand times the computing power of today's machines, but be a thousand times cheaper. Just amazing. It really is. <laughs> All right. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Rick Edelman. Uh, his website is ricedelman.com. Uh, you can find out more about his financial planning services and his new book, which is called The Truth About Your Future. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America 
is heading over a fiscal cliff, home prices are still receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Rick Edelman. His new book is called The Truth About Your Future. His website is ricedelman.com. Welcome back to the show, Rick. Thank you, Jordan. So we're going to do a whole bunch of different personal financial topics uh, quickly here. One is annuities. People see a lot of annuities as a way of having your money growing tax-deferred, and this is a very high on the priority list of Wall Street firms. What do you, in general, think about uh, the pros and cons of annuities? They're bad bets. Uh, They're a very bad idea, uh, generally speaking, um, for lots of reasons. And there are two flavors. There are variable annuities fixed annuities, and the worst of the bunch clearly are fixed annuities, equity indexed annuities. These are very, very bad products, and most of them are not going to survive the new fiduciary rule. Well, that tells you an awful lot. Many of these products have already been removed of the, uh, from the marketplace in anticipation of the fiduciary rule that we talked about earlier. And if they're going to stop selling the product because they're not going to be able to, why do you want to buy a product that, that, um, that fits that category? So, uh, and, and what's so bad about the annuities? very low. Um, there's lack of liquidity. If you take the money prior to 59 and a half, there's taxes, penalties, uh, that you have to pay. Uh, the, um, you're also gambling that the insurance company is going to be able to deliver on its promise of paying you income for the rest of your life. But along with exponential technologies, we're going to be living a lot longer than ever before. You're likely going to live to 110 or 120. The insurance companies are not anticipating that and their mortality charts uh, are not assuming that they're going to have to make payments to you for that long a period. Raises a very real question, are they going to be able to honor their promise? And I'm very skeptical. Another thing in the insurance area, which is hot these days, is so-called index universal life, where the cash value is tied to the S&P 500 or some kind of index. Do you like yeah. that as a way of uh, growing your money tax-free? No, I don't. I think it's a ripoff. Uh, I think that it's a bunch of smoke and mirrors designed by the insurance company to manipulate a section of the tax code uh, in a self-serving way. When you look at the uh, promises that the insurance contracts are offering, you look at the fees and expenses associated with the contract, you look at the rate of return they're promising to provide you, along with the risk that Congress might change the tax law, these are really bad ideas. They are clearly designed in the insurance companies and the insurance agents' best interests, not your own. So in the life insurance field, you, you do agree people need life insurance. Are you saying pretty much people should buy term and invest the difference? In the vast majority of cases, yes. We believe very strongly in life insurance. Uh, most Americans are severely underinsured. Uh, they either don't have any insurance at all or they have a far too little to protect their spouse and children. 
But for the overwhelming majority of Americans, term life is plenty to do the job. It's very, very inexpensive these days, getting cheaper all the time. And there's no excuse for you not to have the proper insurance protection you need for your family. But term is sufficient way to go. I want to skip to real estate now. So a lot of millennials have been uh, renting for a long time, and maybe now they're starting to come into buy, which is why you're getting shortages in many areas. But are people making the right decision to buy versus rent on real estate considering their lifestyles today? You just said the key word, lifestyle. Uh, It really depends on your situation. Many people are trying, uh, they're in too much of a hurry to buy real estate. Their lifestyle doesn't justify the effort. Uh, If you're going to buy a home, you need to plan on living in it for seven to ten years. And a lot of people are not able to say with a high degree of confidence that they will, in fact, stay there that long. The costs associated with buying, maintaining, and then selling real estate are so high that you need seven to ten years or more for the property to grow in value enough to compensate for the costs of carrying that property. Uh, If you're planning to buy a property and thinking you're going to flip it in two or three years, you're likely going to end up losing money. Because a lot of people are doing that. There's a lot of people backflipping properties today in hot real estate markets like in California and Florida and Arizona and so on. It's, yeah, it's, they were doing that back. in 2006 and 2007, and we know how that ended. So that was the big bubble then. What is the big bubble now? Well, there are fears that we're returning to that kind of a bubble today, that home prices in many markets are exceeding dramatically incomes. And that was the crisis in 07. Uh, home prices are directly based on your ability to make the monthly payment. And if the price of that home grows too high, where the monthly payment exceeds your income and your ability to repay, that's a bubble. So uh, there are fears that in a lot of markets around the country, we're beginning to see the very same thing again. In other words, we haven't apparently learned a damn thing. Healthcare is another area. So there's so much controversy about Obamacare, is it going to stay, is it going to go? Meanwhile, insurance companies have been pulling out of markets left and right. How should people get good health care in today's kind of disrupted market? The situation is abysmal. Washington should be ashamed of itself. Um, there is so much uncertainty right now. President Trump said he would eliminate Obamacare within 30 days of taking office. Here we are, seven months later. It's still not happened. The industry doesn't know what's going to happen next. Will Congress eliminate Obamacare? Will they replace it with something else? Will they alter it, enhance it, modify it? Nobody knows. It's a dismal situation. It is entirely a manufactured dilemma. Unlike so many aspects of the economy, which are natural in occurrence, this one is strictly being manufactured by Congress. They're handling it in a completely inept way, affecting millions of lives, And it's obscene what is going on, the lack of uh, resolution on this issue. All we can tell you to do right now is to obtain a policy this year as best you can, recognizing that the rules are very likely to change for next year. But at this point, we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen next. So what if there is no Congress, no congressional action, which seems to be the logical situation? There's no consensus on anything. If nothing changes in Congress, what happens to the health insurance system going forward? 
it's a real problem. As you noted, we have many states where there's only one insurance company continuing to participate with Obamacare. Uh, and in other states, the insurance companies are dramatically raising their rates uh, on the policies that they are offering through Obamacare. So it's, it's a really difficult uh, notion. The best advice, which unfortunately isn't very practical for everybody, is to for a company that offers great health insurance benefits as part of employment compensation. Well, not everybody has that, that, that uh, opportunity to do. Uh, why we have an employer-based health care system in the first place is crazy. Your ability to get health care should not be dependent on who you go to work for. That doesn't make any sense in the first place. But that's the structure we currently have in this country. So uh, something's got to give. Something will give. The current status quo is not sustainable. And we just have to continue to pound our members of Congress to act because it's unconscionable that they are failing to do so thus far. Speaking of not being sustainable, what is your view in the long term of both Social Security and Medicare, uh, because at some point they're going to hit a wall. Do you think Congress will change things before they hit that wall? Congress has to act. Uh, they are not acting at the moment. Uh, you're absolutely right that Social Security is in a huge crisis. It is astonishing to me that throughout the entire political campaign of 2016, not a single presidential candidate ever said a word about Social Security. But the facts are very clear. According to the Congressional Budget Office, by right now, the system is paying out in benefits more than it's collecting in taxes. As a result of that, the Social Security Trust Fund is running out of money. And by 2030, according to the Congressional Budget Office, the trust fund will be completely depleted. At that point, in 2030, Social Security benefits will have to be reduced by 30%. The average check right now is about 1200 bucks a month. That's the average check for the average American retiree. And the average American retiree gets 60% of their income from Social Security. So most American retirees are heavily dependent on Social Security to live on. And that check is going to get cut by 30%, meaning it's going to go from $1,200 down to about $800. And taxes are going to rise dramatically in order to maintain the income stream for retirees. It's an untenable situation. And that's why I've introduced a solution to Social Security. It's called TFA, the Trust Fund for America. I released this solution a couple of months ago at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., and I am working very hard with a variety of folks trying to get Congress to address the issue. If we act now, we can fix this problem before the crisis hits in 13 years. But the longer we wait, the more we delay, the worse the crisis gets, the more expensive it will be to fix it. So I would encourage everyone to go to my website at rickedelman.com, that's ricedelman.com, read my Social Security solution, and talk to your member of Congress about it. Talk to your representative, talk to your senator, get them to discuss the one financial issue that is the biggest issue our nation is facing. It ain't Obamacare, as big as that is, it's Social Security and Medicare. Very good. Well, thanks so much. We've covered a lot of ground. My guest this hour has been Rick Edelman. Uh, his website is rickedelman.com. His uh, new book we just talked about is called The Truth About Your Future, The Money Guide You Need Now, Later, and Much Later. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Rick. It's been a real pleasure, Jordan. Thank you so much. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next.